One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and thank you for listening to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Sarah Ellis, one of your hosts, and this is our Ask the Expert second series. The idea of these conversations is to continue exploring specific skills that we hope will help everyone listening as we all continue to navigate our careers and a world of work that has got a whole lot squigglier in 2020. In today's episode, you're going to hear me talking about connection with Priya Parker. Priya is trained in conflict resolution, which is something that I find terrifying and fascinating in equal measure. It's a job that I can never imagine doing as someone who gets very nervous of conflict and as a natural introvert. So it's a really interesting area to explore. And Priya has become, through her work, a real expert in the art of conversation, how to gather people together in a way that's meaningful and that matters, whether it's global leaders from around the world or your weekly meeting at work. And we do discuss lots of the kind of practicalities of how can we make meetings just that little bit better, which is something I think most of us would hope for and benefit from. And just before we get started, I wanted to take the time to thank our partner, the Booper Foundation. Without them, we couldn't do these interviews. And they're a charity we're so proud to work with. They have a brilliant purpose to help people live longer, happier and healthier lives. And if you have a bit of space in your week for an extra podcast, they've launched something called Resilience Brilliance. And what I love about the podcast is it features stories from people that you're not going to hear from elsewhere. They're everyday people doing brilliant, extraordinary things and just sharing their personal reflections on how they stay resilient through tough times. It's a really heartwarming listen. And I think it just gives you the opportunity to get a window into some other people's worlds that you probably wouldn't usually hear from. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Priya and I'll be back at the end to let you know who's coming up next in our Ask the Expert series. So Priya, thank you so much for joining us today on the Squiggly Careers podcast. Thank you for having me. And I really enjoyed reading your book, The Art of Gathering, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. And I'm really intrigued to start our conversation to understand a bit more about how you got interested in kind of how we gather, what really piqued your interest in this topic in the first place? So I am a group conflict resolution facilitator. I work with groups when they need somebody to come in and have a complicated or difficult conversation. And I started my career, if you can call it that, as an (laughs) undergraduate doing this with race relations on college campuses in the U.S. And very simply, I'm biracial. I grew up in a lot of different contexts. 
as an undergrad, I realized that the racial climate at my school, the University of Virginia, this was 20 years ago, was tense. And I wanted to do something about it. And I learned about a process called sustained dialogue. And as an undergraduate freshman, I learned how to facilitate dialogues. And that was the beginning of this journey to begin to understand how and why groups can connect and particularly transform their relationships through conversation. I began to realize that what I was taught as a facilitator of how you create meaning between people, how you build trust, how to open a conversation, how to ask a question, how to set up a room, all of the elements that you're trained as a facilitator were not what we are told in kind of popular culture about how to run a meeting or how to host a dinner party, or how to plan a wedding. And that most of the focus had to do with stuff, kind of the things, the what I call the hardware of gatherings. You know, at a wedding, what are your colors? Or at a meeting, you know, what's your slide deck look like? And just assume that if you get the content right, that the community takes care of itself. And I knew as a facilitator that that just wasn't true. And so I wanted to write a book that kind of demystified how can anybody no matter what type of gathering you're hosting as a guest or a host, how can you help build community to achieve the purpose of the gathering? And one of the things that I was expecting when I was reading your work and I watched your brilliant TED Talks as well, was I thought, oh, perhaps Priya will be recommending we should gather more. And as somebody who's an introvert, I was kind of a bit apprehensive about that. But actually what you're recommending is it's not about gathering more, it's gathering better. So when people do do a better job of gathering, what does that look and feel like? Well, in the workplace, it often means gathering less. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and, you know, I think that a huge amount of our time, particularly in the work context, is wasted in hosting a meeting that could have been taken care of by an email. And I think one of the interesting elements of COVID is that it's interrupting the autopilot of when and why and with whom do you meet? Oh, do we still not need that weekly staff meeting? Or do we really need to get everybody on Zoom to make this one decision? Or could it be sent in an email? So part of this moment is some of those patterns are getting interrupted. But I think gathering better means to know, A, why you're gathering, what is the purpose? What is the need around which you can, by bringing together a very specific group of people, you can try to address? And then how do you help people understand what that need is and why they uniquely should be at that meeting? A really good gathering connects people to its purpose. It also connects people to each other. It opens well. It closes well. And it's generative, meaning something new came out of it. By bringing together a very specific group of people and structuring it in a very specific way, which needn't mean it's formal, right? Structure doesn't have to be formal, but that it's like a well-stitched suit. You know where you're beginning, you know where you're ending, you know what type of thread you're using for which type of sleeve, you know, and all of these are decisions. And so I think a huge part of what I'm saying is we are gathering all of the time. I mean, in this pandemic, we are no longer gathering in the same ways we were before the pandemic, but we are still, many of us, particularly in the work context, are still gathering virtually now all of the time. I'm not adding extra work. I'm saying, let's all wake up a little bit and say, why are we coming together? Do we need to do this? And if so, how? What mistakes do you observe with all the different people that you work with and all the kind of different gatherings that you've researched during your career? What mistakes do we make that perhaps we don't even know we're making? So the biggest mistake people make is that they think the purpose is obvious. And when we think the purpose is obvious, we assume the form 
becomes obvious, right? The how becomes obvious. And so our meetings, you know, all look the same or our, a board meeting, you imagine a long mahogany table. And because we assume the form is inherited, we don't pause to ask, why are we actually doing this? What is the purpose of a board? What is the purpose of our board? Is our relationship as to show them a, what we want them to see so they get off our backs? Or are they our most trusted advisors? Answering that question, your meeting should look very different based on what you think the purpose of the meeting is for in the first place and what you believe the relationship is between the people you're gathering. One of the things that you talk a bit about, as somebody who, yeah, I'm naturally introverted, I find conflict, you know, difficult. It's something I've had to kind of work hard on, you know, my career to really think about how to have challenging conversations really constructively. You talk about this idea of good controversy. And I think when I first saw that, I thought, that's what I need in my life. I need to see controversy in a good way. And and it's something I'm always working on and, and improving. So I just think our listeners will be really interested to just hear you talk just a little bit more about this idea of good controversy, because I suspect I'm not alone in finding conflict and challenging situations quite hard. Yeah, I mean, me too, <laughs> which is, you know, I'm a conflict resolution facilitator and we often seek out, you know, that which we need. One of the things I found again and again, you know, part of the art of gathering is my own lens as a facilitator, but also I interviewed over a hundred people from all walks of life who other people considered having created transformative gatherings for them. A rabbi, a dominatrix, a photographer that has seven minutes to get the right shot of a head of state with 12 bodyguards in the room. And like, what does he do to be able to get that moment of vulnerability? One of the things I found again and again that that surprised me was many of the people I interviewed who other people say were incredible gatherers, identified as introverts, identified often as suffering social anxiety, thinking of themselves as sometimes even on medication for social anxiety. And I think part of what I saw again and again was that we think that it's the only the extroverts or the charismatic figure, you know, who can carry a crowd or hold a room. But actually, that's a lot of work to place on one person. The people who identified, self-identified as sometimes kind of being on the outside of a group or the outside of a community or just simply feel somewhat depleted by ambivalent gatherings, know that a great gathering allows for some amount of structure and helps a group connect to itself. And I think part of it is like, and I saw this again and again in my characters, was in part out of a fear of like, oh God, we're all going to get together and then what do we do? Then they create some source of meaning or focus that allows people to interact in a way that helps them kind of get to connection. But in terms of conflict, the great American civil rights leader, John Lewis, recently passed away and he had this term, cause good trouble. Good controversy is similar. It's, there's absolutely some amount of conflict that's not helpful. But so much of our group life, connection is impeded not by unhealthy conflict, but by what I call unhealthy peace, meaning no one's saying anything because we're afraid of conflict or we don't want to seem rude or offensive, but the group falls apart or no one actually is willing to back the product when it comes to market because no one liked it anyway, but they didn't feel safe saying it in the room, right? And, you know, I'm conflict averse. I'm a conflict resolution facilitator who's conflict averse. So I'm a master of unhealthy peace. Actually, unhealthy peace can be as dangerous and is much more common in my experience than unhealthy conflict. And so good controversy is really starting to see 
when somebody raises something, is it helpful to the group? In the U.S., we have presidential debates, or we did before COVID hit. And last year, when there were still many Democratic candidates, Kamala Harris brought up busing and Joe Biden's position on busing in the 60s and 70s. And it was a heated moment. And to me, as I was watching it with my facilitator's eye, it was a moment of what I would call good controversy, because yes, she was being prosecutorial, which, you know, she is a lawyer, but it helped the country for a larger purpose. It helped the public actually ask, what is this person's relationship to busing? Whatever it was, what do we think about that? Can someone evolve? Is this a candidate that is somebody who is like me, quote unquote, whatever that means? And so there are moments in which because we try to sidestep controversy, we actually aren't focusing on the core questions that we need to ask as a community to figure out what the direction is that we want to move in. And we finish every Ask the Expert interview by asking our guests to share your best piece of career advice. So this could be your own words of wisdom, something that someone's told you that's really stuck with you over the years, or just something that kind of springs to mind and feels really relevant for you right now. I think for me, career-wise, something that I keep close to my heart and has always really helped me is two things. One is to continue to build a craft And the second is, and this is something that the American writer David Brooks said years ago, and he said, no question that's worthy of pursuit is solvable in a lifetime. For me, mastery and craft means very specifically, even as I write, even as I talk, even as I gather examples around the world of how different people are gathering, I still spend 50% of my time facilitating my own complicated work gatherings. I still, I am committed to my craft as a facilitator, not just a speaker about facilitating or a writer about facilitating, but I stay close to my craft. And, and if the craft doesn't interest you, find a craft that's worthy of mastery. That's probably not possible to achieve that mastery over a lifetime because then it continues to be interesting. And then on the no question is worthy of pursuit, you know, that is possible in a lifetime to really think about not just what is my career or my job, what's a question that I think is both fascinating and deeply important to solve? And then back into that by saying, what's an institution that might be helping with that? What's a task or what's a job that could push that question forward rather than thinking, you know, what's my next job? And I think in a moment like this, that can be very scary that it can be harder to think that way. But having a craft or knowing what that is actually in the long term also makes you more resilient knowing what it is that you, you know, you're capable of doing. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best place to find us is on Instagram, where we're at Amazing If. But you can always connect with Helen and I on LinkedIn. Just let us know that you listen to the podcast. We love getting your feedback. We love to know what you think of the episodes, what you found really interesting, what you've tried, what you've put into practice. And if you get two minutes to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast, we're always really grateful. It just helps us to share the podcast even further and helps us to keep doing what we're doing. Next week, I'll be talking to the philosopher and author Roman Krisnerick about empathy. I think empathy is such a relevant topic right now and something that we can all learn to be even better at. I first discovered Roman's work in 2012 when I read one of his books, Wonderbox, and it had a really long-lasting impact on my perspective, my view of the world, and I read it just as we were launching and kind of thinking about Amazing If. 
And actually, if I'd not read that book, I'm not sure I would have had the confidence or the leap to feel like we were heading in the right direction. So I'm really looking forward to talking to him. I've followed his work for a long time now. I'm a little bit nervous, you know, when you feel like you're going to be talking to someone who is incredibly smart. So I've got my questions ready. So I really hope you'll tune in again to listen to us next week. But in the meantime, thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.